morning, everybody. It's good to see everyone this morning. Uh, I feel led by the Spirit to change uh, the sermon topic this morning. We're going to instead talk about how to build an ark. That's, that's what we're going to be doing this morning. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Um, hey, uh, before uh, we jump into God's Word, I'd like to pray. And one of the things I'd like to pray about is comfort for a precious Outlook family. We lost a sweet member of our family this week. Her name is Beverly Hetty. And Rhonda and Debbie, your, her daughters, are here with us this morning. And guys, we're praying for you. We love you. Um, and we feel your loss for you and with you. So um, before we jump into God's Word, I'd love to pray. Pray for this time, as Jason already has for us, but also pray for, for this precious family. Will you join me? Lord, thank you for the fact that we get to be in church today. Whether we're here in the room or we're with uh, our, our church family online, we're together and we're together in prayer. And Lord, I ask that you'd bless this precious family with comfort and peace for the days ahead uh, as they navigate their grief and their loss, but also their hope in you. Um, Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on that hope every day. Uh, even as we focus now on your word, Lord, we pray that you would uh, give us hope. And may it be an encouragement to everyone who hears it. That's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for praying with me. We're in a series in which we've been reminding ourselves that now is a great time to put first things first and to remember what matters most. In this series called Back to Basics, we're reminding ourselves first of the precious truths we believe. We're looking at how we reintegrate those truths into how we form who we are, our identity, our self-understanding. We're putting back into our lives the life-giving rhythms and practices that flow from that knowledge. We're going back to basics in this series. And we've been looking at different weeks at this kind of, our, this life formula, this formula of how life works. So you might remember, it goes like this. Let's advance to that if we could. There it is. Uh, that we, we've noticed that in life there's this formula, and that is that doing flows from being and it's all based on knowing. And so we're going to actually use this as a grid this morning for our topic. Today, we are going to regain a biblical grasp of the basic and essential subject of our money and our possessions. Now, I've found, friends, nothing will nail our feet to the floor faster than our finances and how we handle them. But I'm not talking about budgeting. I'm talking rather about the deeper, broader points that Jesus teaches and the Scriptures reinforce. That's what we're going to spend a few minutes reminding ourselves of today. A very primal, basic, and super essential aspect of our discipleship to Jesus. And so let's start with knowing. What we know is this. When it comes to this subject, we know that everything I have is God's investment in me. That's true for us all. We all can say this, that everything I have is God's investment in me. My income is not just the fruit of my labors, the revenue generated by my particular ingenuity and gumption. Not really. Not ultimately. Because we need to back up and think, who gave you that energy? And who gave you that insight. Everything, every single thing you and I have came to us from God. 
and ultimately belongs to God. This is the perspective we begin to gain as we count ourselves disciples of Jesus. That what we have is on loan to us, in fact, invested in us, in you and in me. So we can't get this backwards. We can't fall for the lie that our society keeps pushing that gets us to, to think and think and think. Mine, mine, mine. More, 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 right? When it comes to money and stuff, possessions, wealth, riches, those are the only ways we've been taught to uh, outside, outside of our faith in Christ. That's the main way we're taught to think about these things in our world. Mine, 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 and more, more, more. But as we follow Jesus, we begin to realize it's all His, His, His. Whether it's more or less, it's all His. And so what we're talking about here is a right relationship with our riches, whether they be big or small. As disciples of Jesus, we've made Him our Lord. Nothing and no one else is in charge of us, including our wealth. Jesus warned our finances can often be a primary contender for the throne of our lives. But as disciples, we realize that our material possessions have a lot of spiritual power and potential for good or for ill. Our finances and how we handle them end up providing a direct insight regarding the health of our faith. There's a spiritual connection and a competition that can't be denied. Here's how Jesus described it. Check this out. Luke chapter 16, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll, and you'll be, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. He sums it up this way. You cannot serve. Who are these two masters he's wondering about? Who are, these, who are these two masters that are contending for the throne of our lives? You cannot serve both God and money. Now when he says hate there, it's important to remember, it's not just an emotion. Like, oh, I have bad feelings about this person or this thing. God and money in this case. But in this case, it also can refer to the idea that when you love one, you end up casting aside or disregarding the other. That in this case, you can't have both of these driving the, 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 you know, with their hands on the steering wheel of your life. You will end up discarding one to focus on the other, or vice versa. Now, sadly, money for all of us can seem to be a pretty decent stand-in for God. It's the primary resource we humans look to outside of God for what we most crave. Many of our most basic needs, belonging, significance, security, provision, they should be fulfilled spiritually through God, but they can be satisfied financially through money. This is why Jesus makes this statement, you cannot serve them both. He understands one will try to take precedence, money will try to take precedence over our relationship with God. Feeling insecure, money promises security. Feeling insignificant, money provides prestige at least in our world's point of view. Feeling dissatisfied, money proposes gratification, at least for a moment. And man, therein lies the trap, right? Jesus is not naive on this subject. He knows that the human heart can be captured by money. He knows how our lives can be thrown out of balance by it. He knows that our money is the number one rival to God for the, our attention and our affection. 
Almost nothing reveals our priorities more clearly than the way we approach money. Money is the way we assign value to reality. Think about it. In our culture, we can actually feel shame for not making a lot of money or the amount we somehow think we should or could. We give money that power, or we might. Often we do. But Jesus says you cannot serve both God and money. After he says this, the Scriptures tell us the Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day. So I think we all can agree, don't be these guys, right? Don't be these guys. Don't scoff at what Jesus has to say here, but understand that he understands the human heart better than anyone. And when he says, don't, you cannot serve both God and money, he knows he's giving us something we all need to hear. We must not scoff at it. We must not love our money so much that we don't hear what he says. In other words, we need to come to an understanding of what money is and what money is not. I serve God. That's what we hope to be true of ourselves. And our money serves us, not the other way around. I don't serve money. It is not my Lord. Money is neither my master nor my source of contentment. That is the goal. I'm reminded of something Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. He talks about, hey, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth. Man, rust uh, and, and vermin, they'll destroy them. They don't last long. Nothing lasts forever here on earth. Don't store up treasures for yourself here. Don't make that the goal or the aim of your life. He says instead, as he puts it, store up treasure in heaven. Make God's priorities your priorities. And then he says this, really, again, a super insightful thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Again, Jesus understands the human heart. He knows that there is a battle between our own self-made financial security and rest and trust in God with our faith in He also understands that where we send our treasure, the way we prioritize the use of what God has given us is exactly where our heart will follow. That's what we will care about. That There is both a competition between God and money, but also a connection between our money and our hearts, our treasure and our hearts. Now, one indication that we're growing in a right relationship in this regard is an increasingly healthy detachment from our possessions. Because remember, what are we saying? Everything I have is God's investment in me. Really belongs to Him. Our peace of mind is decreasingly dependent on the size of our bank account. Our self-worth is less tethered to our net worth. Now that is a counter-cultural point of view. But that's exactly what we're called to be as disciples of Jesus. counter cultural. Why is this important? Because Jesus is pointing us toward contentment. This is a great biblical virtue that he wants for each and every one of us so we can be content. Here's how Paul described this lesson of godly contentment to Timothy, calling our desire for riches a deadly snare. Check this out. This is Paul's advice to Timothy. If we have food and clothing, We will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires 
that plunge people into ruin and destruction. They get upside down in their priorities, right? They end up making decisions that aren't godly, aren't helpful, aren't fruitful and productive. He goes on to say this, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Not money, the love of money. Again, when we begin to place our affections and our aims and all our goals and desires on money, mine, 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 more, 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 right? The love of money. Man, all kinds of evil flows from that. And we see that in our world today. We see that throughout our history, right? And so many injustices take place exactly because of what? Greed. Because of money on the table. Some people, he says, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. In other words, they didn't stick with the basics. They didn't keep first things first. Now that's a sobering warning, without a doubt. It is easy for any of us to get sidetracked by our stuff and the pursuit of more of it. But instead, our riches must be seen as resources that we can leverage into opportunities to trust and serve God and His purposes. So this is what we know. This is what we know. To summarize, everything truly belongs to God and anything that's ours, so to speak, is His investment in us. Our possessions, whether they be few or many, are entrusted to us so that we may enjoy them, no doubt, and make the most of them for the work of His kingdom and the good of others. This is what we know. Everything I have is God's investment in me. Now because we know that, who will we be? We can become a good and faithful steward of all that God has given us. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, what does this truth mean that he just spoke? You cannot serve both God and money where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. Jesus just said that. I'm his disciple. You are too. And if you're not, you're in the right place today. Just a little aside. Love to talk to you about what it means to say yes to Jesus. Discover that He loves you more than anyone else on the planet ever could, and He always has. I would love to talk to you about that. Uh, and you can become a disciple of Jesus as well. As disciples of Jesus, we've just heard Him say something. What does that mean for my life and my choices? A parable that He shares in Matthew 25 illuminates this really well. In it, He tells the tale of a master who assigns three servants oversight over his assets before he goes out on a journey. Now, when he gets home from the journey, he evaluates the return on his investments in these servants. Two of them doubled their master's money, but one, in fear, buried what he'd been given, and it yielded, of course, no return at all. The master's commendation to the first two servants is instructive for us. What does the master say? And in this parable, the master is the Lord himself. We are the servants. The commendation says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. These servants recognized that they were being invested in by the master. They were now to steward what had been given them. It was not theirs, but they did have responsibility to do something with it. And they made the most of it. It is a pivotal moment in our lives as disciples when we realize that everything we have is God's gift to us and investment in us and that we are stewards 
called to make the most of it. We know and then we become. The sooner we realize this, the better. Think about it. If the way I handle my money and possessions is worth God's attention, it must be worth my attention too. In Luke 16, we read Jesus reinforcing this very idea. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So in other words, it's a test of our character how we handle these tangible earthly things that we've been given. Because when we handle them well, it grows us into handling all kinds of other things well. Relationships, spiritual responsibility, on and on. So we really have to stop and examine ourselves in this regard. Am I a steward over my finances or am I a servant to my finances? We have to call for the question, am I serving the almighty dollar or almighty God? Here are some ways that we can tell. Some questions here that I put together. First, on which do I base most of my decisions? Is the expediency of whether or not I can get mine, 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 more, more, more the main concern of what I decide I will or won't do? Or can maybe some other considerations come in, like what does God's Word say? What will further His kingdom? Or how will, what will best love others? Those would be some other considerations instead. Which do I allow to define me and others? Do I tie a lot of my self-worth to my net worth? Do I think that I am a, a person of a certain quality because I also happen to have a certain income? Or I can have certain nice things? Or do I look at others in such a way that no matter who they are as a character, I tend to think, of, think less of them because they have less? That can happen, I think, to any of us. For which will I most readily, readily sorry, make sacrifices? In other words, when push comes to shove and I need to decide uh, what requires some extra effort on my part, and there's nothing wrong with putting in extra effort so that you might even make some extra income over time or anything like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when that becomes the only thing that we'll put in extra effort for, right, we might be starting to realize, wait a second, I will make sacrifices, but mostly just if it means there's money on the table. From which do I try, oh, which sets my life goals and direction? In other words, if I felt led by God to go in a certain direction, but that direction meant less income, how would I handle that? How would that sit with me? And from which do I try to find contentment? We talked a little bit about this earlier, right? When I have more money, do I feel more peaceful? And when I have less, do I feel less peaceful? I think we all could probably say, yeah, that's happened to me, no doubt. But that's a great indicator that there's something going on in me that shows that my contentment, my peace is resting on something as volatile as my financial situation. When God is wanting me to live a life of peace that is resting in his unchanging goodness to me, right? Great questions for us to ask. And you're probably sitting here at this point and thinking, oh man, it was raining. I told you we should have just stayed home today. (laughs) Doggone, this guy is up in our kitchen today. (laughs) I feel you, I feel you. 
So what do we know? What do we know? We know that everything I have is God's investment in me. Who will I be? I will be a good and faithful steward of those things now that God has given me. If we know this and we aim to be that, then what will we now do? And the biblical answer is simple, but not always easy. It's definitely true, and it is satisfying. The do is this. Give and share generously, reliably, prayerfully, and joyfully. Friends, I'm inviting you to unlock a door to your discipleship to Jesus that leads to some really great places. Back to Paul writing to Timothy, we quoted it earlier, he goes on to say this to Timothy, who's a pastor of a church, and Paul is giving him advice on what to share with the people of that church. He says, command those who are rich in this present world, we've talked a lot about that over the years, you may or may not feel rich, but from a global perspective, we all have uh, more more than most, to say the least. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We just talked about that. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be, gen- to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So the path of this richness, whether or not we feel rich, we get to lead a rich life. Command them to be rich in good deeds. This richness isn't complicated. Our focus must not first be on ourselves, but on God by giving faithfully and on others by sharing generously. Throughout the scriptures, we're directed to give a percentage of our income to God and his work as a natural act of devoted worship. We're talking about intentional generosity. The joy that can be found when we realize everything I have, 100%, the whole pie, it belongs to God. I'm a steward now of all of this, whether I think it's big or small is irrelevant. I'm a steward of all of it, and I get the chance now to give generously and joyfully in a fun and in a way that will encourage others toward His work, toward those in need, toward making someone's life perhaps a bit better toward furthering the cause of Jesus. This is the way Paul put it to the Corinthians. On the first day of each week, you should put aside a portion of the money you have earned. doesn't get much more straightforward than that, right? But he understood the rhythm, the pattern of taking some of what God has given me and making sure it goes straight back into his kingdom. Man, this has been happening for millennia that God has been asking his people to give a percentage of their goods into worship to him. To the same Corinthians, he wrote this, each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Whenever we address this subject here at Outlook, we always make sure that you hear those words right there. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, That a message like this should always be one that's encouraging. One in which I hope you leave feeling as though you've been equipped to be a more fruitful and full disciple of Jesus. Not someone who's ever at all felt pressured that you're supposed to give a certain amount. Far from it. God help me if I were to ever give anyone 
that impression. But I do believe God's word when it says that this each of you means what it says it means. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. You in the Lord and do it in a cheerful way. This passage goes on to say, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity. In other words, all kinds of good things will flow from me and from you, each of us individually, doing whatever God has led us to do in in a generous, joyful way. God can take all that and turn it into something that does tremendous good, and others will praise God for it. Giving in a rhythmic percentage way in which you commit a certain portion of your income to God and just begin to rhythmically give it. This is a powerful way to declare that God is first in our lives. It's a way that we place our treasure exactly where we want our hearts to be, to use Jesus' language. We give our finances because we want to fully obey God and be good and faithful stewards. We want to hear, well done. As basic as prayer, as basic as Bible reading, as basic as connecting to other Christians that we've been talking about these last recent weeks, this ancient practice of setting aside a percentage of our increase uh, first to the work and worship of God is a basic, if there ever was one. It's a practice as old as there has been a people of God. So ultimately, how much we give is between each of us and God. But whether or not we give, Generously, sacrificially, consistently. Man, that is pretty much a baked-in aspect of life with God. And it has been since the beginning because he does not want money to be our master. He wants us instead to use it as a tool and let it serve us as we serve God. Giving in worship, giving to those in need, giving as a self-discipline. I'm here to testify Once we realize that in the end, all 100% of what we have belongs to God, giving is fun. And the world needs the church. The world needs the church to be fully funded. The world needs the church to prosper. The world needs the church to do all the good it can do in this world. And we need it too. We as disciples of Jesus need it too. The church needs each of us, supporting it joyfully. And generously. So the question for us as we wrap up this morning is really this. Is it time for a new investment strategy? Every now and then I, I get a call from the guy right who manages uh, my 403B. Tells me how things are going. Not so good right now, right? And, uh, you know, he, we talk about investment strategy. Mostly I listen. We will naturally think about, pray about, and care about what we're invested in. So when we put our money where we want our heart to be, that's a good thing. At times, if we begin to ask ourselves, am I very happy with where my heart is right now? Do I really feel like my priorities are in line? Am I, am I really flowing and fruitful in the way things are going? Or am I a bit out of line, out of whack, out of rhythm here? There's lots of things that can be involved in that. But for today's subject... Jesus has tapped into something that is absolutely true. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. When we give in support of Christ's cause, we are intentionally setting our priorities. Because money has this unique ability to not only reflect our hearts, but direct our hearts. So if we're not happy with where our heart is, 
there is something we can do about it. And here's another brutal truth, if we're being honest. The force for good that the church is designed to be in this regard is staggering. But the small portion of our potential that we're actually reaching is saddening. Generosity in our finances can fuel this good greatly. Our awesome Lord deserves it. And our aching world needs it. So what have we learned today? First, we've learned to know that everything I have is God's investment in me. Because of that, I will be a good and faithful steward. How do I do that? I do that by giving and sharing generously, reliably, prayerfully, and joyfully. Speaking of giving now, let's take the bread and cup in our hands and consider that God so loved the world that He gave, that giving is absolutely a, a built in to what it means to have faith in Jesus. It's how, it's how God has expressed His love to us. And I want to take us back to just one more uh, thing that Paul said to Timothy in that same section of Scripture. When he tells Timothy to command people to to give, to to be generous, to tap into the joy of that generosity. He then says this, in this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves. Remember what Jesus said, "Don't, don't store up treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up treasure in heaven. Paul's using the same language. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. Whenever we get together each Sunday and we take the bread and the cup, we are reminding ourselves that the age we're in is not the only age. That there's a coming age. There's a coming era. There's a coming reality. And that 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 reality, that eternal reality, in which one day all of this will be a memory and we uh, live eternally with the one who knows us, loves us, made us, that reality bleeds back into this one. When you, when you turn your mind there. And that's what happens. We are tapping into that, that we may take hold of the life that is truly life. And so as we take the bread this morning, let's just remind ourselves that Jesus died to make that coming age possible that for us, that we would be included in it. By His grace, He let Himself be broken. He let Himself uh, go to the cross because he loves us that much. Let's take and eat it together. And as we take the cup, we are declaring each time that we do this that we are laying up treasure, not here, that, that whatever, whatever is happening here, uh, though it's not unimportant, it's not eternal. And that there is something more, there's always something more. And we turn our eyes toward that coming age. We turn our eyes to where we're now laying up all the treasures, all the things we treasure, and think, think are most important. They're found in this moment when we declare that Jesus is our Lord because He shed His blood for us. Let's take and drink together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the truth that we've gotten to be refreshed on today. Lord, I pray that none of it landed with an ounce of condemnation or shaming, but all, all only with encouragement and with the, the clarity that I hope your scriptures will give us. 
Lord, you have entrusted each of us with, a, with treasure, with earthly goods to do heavenly work. So Lord, we ask this that you would lead us and help us to see what it is that each of us is to do with what you've given us, that we would be found good and faithful stewards. That there'll become a day in which we'll enter into that coming age, that, that all of this will be left behind and none of it, none, none of those bank balances or assets will make any difference to us anymore. So use us to make the biggest difference with them that we can while we can. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.